Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. So hello, hello. There are not any environmental holidays or any other special announcements for this podcast episode. So I figured to just jump into our segment up next. It is Headlines from the Hemispheres, which is where we cover environmental news all across the globe, all across um, our amazing globe. And so we're uh, talking about different news stories that you may or may not have caught up on. The first headline is out of Norway, and it talks about global temperature and emissions. New study shows global temperature responds slowly to emissions cuts. And I checked it out on Environmental News Network, ENN.com. So again, this is out of Norway, and there were a particular set of scientists called Cicero scientists, and uh, they studied out of Norway, uh, the amount of global warming and how it's evolved um, and what we need to do to reduce emissions in the future. Their results showed that if we only use the Earth's surface temperature to just measure uh, whether emissions cuts lead to a slowdown uh, in global warming, then we'll need to eventually wait decades before we can establish with certainty the temperature effect of reduced emissions. One of the main goals of the study was to just find out uh, how we can all expect uh, global surface temperatures to actually develop and uh, taking into account things like human-induced factors and also nature uh, into account. Next is about the UK and a little bit about the coronavirus. So UK megatrial outshines other drug studies. I found this information on a science magazine on its website. I love it because it has all types of different archives and it goes back a long time. And this was out of the UK. So it has a, a specific... Um, uh, group that they're dealing with. It's this uh, recovery is the name of it. It's a randomized evaluation of coronavirus therapy and how this is working. And it delivered this type of therapy, this type of solution of the coronavirus. It gave um, two different uh, verdicts on these treatments. Uh, one one of them was a cheap steroid that reduced deaths, deaths by 33% uh, in patients that were on a ventilator and uh, showed that hydrochloroquine, a, of course, anti-malarial drug controversially touted for the coronavirus, it didn't really benefit hospitalized patients as much. Not really surprised because every single day there's some new um, information out there about the coronavirus and what drug is working and testing and who's going to be having access to uh, 
the uh, vaccine. So I'm not really surprised at that part. Uh, but uh, when it comes to recovery, uh, there are um, a number of different things that kind of make this um, a particular interesting uh, issue. There were 12,000 patients and uh, many other uh, participating hospitals that kind of offer uh, more lessons when it comes to these mega trials and having all these people um, being seen and being tested. There's a lot to learn because of recovery. Uh, one of the reasons that recovery uh, has done so well when it comes to options uh, for um, the coronavirus is because it did really well in the UK because they have a centralized um, national health service, NHS, uh, and it covers about 176 hospitals there. Uh, in the U.S., it's a bit different, and our healthcare system is a bit fragmented, so maybe we'll see how recovery does, even in the U.S. or other advances uh, when it comes to the vaccine in the coming months. Lastly is a story out of Australia, and it actually quantifies the uh, social impacts and environmental impacts of the coronavirus. Socioeconomic environmental impacts of COVID-19 quantified. And uh, this was on Science Daily's uh, site in the science section. Uh, and so, again, this comes out of Australia. And it kind of um, is asking the question, how is the coronavirus impacting people and the planet? And what are the implications or implications um, in a post-pandemic world? So after the coronavirus is done, um, and it, it's been almost eradicated, how, how will our world look like after? So a new study kind of uh, looks to, to find answers of that, and it, it tries to find the socioeconomic losses, environmental gains, and other things. And it was a comprehensive study, and it showed that the pandemic uh, really um, had a, a ton of uh, consumption losses that amounted to about 3.8 trillion U.S. dollars. That's how much was lost due to uh, the coronavirus, just by consumption of what we would normally spend. And then uh, this uh, equivalent, uh, equivalent is about 147 million uh, job losses, the biggest ever um, and had also the biggest drop in greenhouse gas emissions. So it's, it's good on the greenhouse gas emissions drop, but horrible on the amount of job losses also and the impact uh, when it comes to consumption uh, dollars. Uh, this uh, research uh, was um, out of the University of Sydney, of course, in Australia, and it was published in the International Scientific Journal Plus One. And they had other key um, findings within the research um, that there were um, a number of income from uh, wages and salaries that were lost, about $2.1 trillion or 6%. And uh, those that were uh, most hit, the countries, were uh, the U.S., China, the mainland, and also the air uh, transport and related tourism industries and uh, other factors as well. Honestly, I don't do enough covering of individual animals and different species that are out there. And um, I wanted to start with one of the most readily identifiable animals ever, the elephant. 
I I know that there are probably tons of uh, animal lovers out there or those who have particular animals that they you know want to hear about and I'll definitely you know get to them as well uh, but you know animals are uh, amazing and we have to learn more about them and how to protect them and the elephant being um, you know no laughing matter about you know how to protect them I figured to um, you know delve into the subject and kind of talk about a singular issue uh, in regards to the elephants like how to protect them in, in the habitats that they uh, grow grow in and um, how to protect their species um, when it comes to you know elephants they're a brilliant animal uh, very intelligent one of the largest uh, heaviest land animal on the planet by far um, they have uh, great uh, skill at uh, memorizing things and their uh, intellect is you know, unmatched and they're majestic and enormous and they should be protected and uh, I will definitely um, you know try to um, handle this issue with kid gloves and sort of give you the overall piece as to you know what to look at as far as the types of elephants we're going to talk about briefly and then uh, the issues that mainly affect them and how we sort of uh, intertwine with those either either on a small level or even a giant level because depending on where you are in the world you know your exposure to these elephants are, are going to range and so we're going to also talk about that a little bit as well so uh, we're going to know the elephants and save the elephants. So we're going to jump into the particular type of two types of elephants that are kind of at risk. And they've been at risk for a while now. There are two main groups of elephants that you may have heard about. There's the African elephants and then there's the Asian elephants. Now both of these have extreme uh, threats against them and their livelihoods and their, and their long-term survival. You know, for decades and decades, this has been a, a huge issue for tons of conservationists, environmentalists, and many uh, international groups and wildlife groups as well. And scientists, uh, they've done a bit of trying to rescue them. And one of the things that they are really good at is classifying uh, animals. And so they have classified Asian elephants as a single species. But on the other side, African elephants, uh, due to genetics, they're a bit different. And so they range uh, in uh, their species. They have uh, savanna elephants and forest elephants, and they are very different. Now, according to the International Union of Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, Asian elephants are definitely endangered and African elephants are listed as vulnerable. So they're a little bit more um, in danger and a little bit more um, to be protected um, because Asian elephants, you know, do matter and they are um, dying off rapidly. But African uh, elephants have been um, kind of in a, a particular uh, peculiar situation when it comes to um, them being hunted off and killed and dying at enormously uh, fast rates. Now several a million um, African elephants have roamed across you know different continents around the world. We know this as early as the 20th century but uh, only now 350,000 remain. That's not a lot in the scheme of things. And then Less abundantly, you have Asian elephants, which numbered in almost a, a quarter of a million. 
uh, a century ago, about 100 years ago. But now there's fewer than 40,000 Asian elephants left in the wild today. So how are elephants today, how are they endangered? What are uh, the plagues, what are the issues that haunt uh, most elephants today? What are, their, what are the issues that elephants just cannot escape from? How do humans uh, impact elephants today? Well, a few different ways. Uh, one of the first is habitat loss and fragmentation. So that means that us humans are in some ways encroaching on the spaces of elephants, whether it be in Africa or in, it, or in Asia. And the pressure is really severe when it comes to even Asian elephants. You know, their their habitats, uh, both uh, uh, species of elephants, both of them um, have had their habitats shrunken and disheveled uh, due to things like agriculture, logging, roads, and also, uh, you know, building housing for people in uh, businesses, commercial use, industries that shouldn't be encroaching on the spaces of elephants. Number two conflict is uh, the issues with humans. So humans are either in the in the spaces of um, elephants. So it's a bit different than the first one. Uh, the first one is where their habitat, their homes, uh, where they live and, and, and thrive suppo- are supposed to be um, safe, but they're not because of uh, our, our humans. Uh, trying to develop their spaces. And then the second issue is that uh, the conflict is with us because we are, um, uh, maybe there are farmers who have built crops uh, and they're easy targets for elephants, sure. But then a whole herd may somehow destroy a crop, you know, to no fault of, of, of their own. But in retaliation, the farmer takes upon themselves to have some animosity against those those elephants or maybe the herd of elephants and aim to kill um, those elephants. And uh, it, it happens all the time. And this leads to hundreds of deaths of um, people and elephants alike, both in Asia and in Africa. Number three is the climate crisis. Now, we all know that the climate crisis uh, exacerbates... Uh, the issues when it comes to us humans as people, whether it be drought, whether it be sea level changes, whether it be food insecurities, whether it be pollution, all types of issues are made worse because of climate uh, change. And with elephants, it impacts them through their water. So uh, water rules their lives. They, you know, get up uh, and, and walk and, and get food, get water, or in a herd, they migrate to where um, they can safely live and, and breed and roam um, and, and do many other things. And so with water, they travel and they migrate. It kind of helps them and guides them throughout their life. It's, it's, it's what they need to do. They need to drink just as we drink. Um, they drink, of course, more because they're way bigger, um, but they need water. And so access to water is a big challenge for elephants uh, under you know normal circumstances, but it's it's made worse because of the climate crisis. It's, it's fueled longer. Again, it means more drought in many other places. And so it's almost impossible to find enough water if they can even get water. 
their habitats are uh, destroyed, you know, sometimes, you know, with natural disasters that are made worse because of climate change. Uh, and with the climate being uh, really topsy-turvy in some places and it's not really recovering, uh, elephants are made to be thirsty and kind of left out of options uh, when it comes to finding water. Number four, last one, is poaching. Now, poaching is a key issue um, in many ways, and it's pretty well known in several other countries, even outside of the U.S. It's not as uh, common, I guess, for your neighbor or for you to know a relative or someone who's involved in poaching or the selling illegal trade of, of uh, animal parts. But the Convention of International Trade in endangered species or sites actually was banning and banned international trade of ivory in 1989, a long time ago. But things like poaching and black market trade still happen in several countries around the world today. Poaching is uh, something that threatens elephants and all types of other wildlife turtles, you know, bats, rhinoceroses, uh, so many things, cheetah, lion, you name it, for their skins and other uh, body parts. And it's really illegal, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, your African elephants and other uh, elephants. According to the World Wildlife uh, Fund, they do a number when it comes to protecting uh, different animals, and they've seen uh, the effects of poaching when it comes to the parts of elephants. And you know, thousands of elephants are killed every year just because of poachers. Elephants are a intelligent species of uh, animals. They are a, a charismatic, uh, iconic. Um, animal that we know in movies and in film and on our our screens at home whether you're watching the the National Geographic programming or something else and they are particularly um, important because they are a keystone species they shape ecosystems around them they kind of show the health of a, a habitat or where um, you know green, greenery is or other animals and 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 they kind of bring everything together. So the fact that populations uh, of elephants are declining rapidly um, says so much about how we are influencing uh, where they live, where they breathe, uh, where they breed. Um, uh, unfortunately, and it's, it's not fair to the elephants. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, wake up one day and say, humans, I want you to destroy where I live and make sure I can't eat what I'm supposed to eat and and I can't uh, roam and if my relative dies, I can't go uh, to where they are and, and console them and grieve because elephants grieve and, um, you know, they, they don't deserve to be hunted and to be poached and to, to be killed needlessly you know, at alarming rates for their body parts. That, that, that's, it's sick. It's sick that, that people who hunt, uh, uh, recreationally, they, they love making trophies of animal parts. You know, it's bad that we, we, we humans, we eat animals, but we go ahead and we, we use their body parts as trophies to tell friends and to you know have competitions and to have museums dedicated to 
the the fighting instruments, t- the tusks, for example, or the toes uh, of of elephants, and that's just one animal. You know, you have people dedicated to the sell and trade and buying of skins of of giraffe and lions and cheetah and panthers, and they do this without a second thought, and then they 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 and they go about doing this, and it, it doesn't change. The populations of elephants in particular has been declining about 8% every year, according to the Great Elephant Census, um, which includes a 30% drop between the year, the years 2007 and 2014. You know, there, there has to be more that's done to protect elephants. Even if you don't think that what you, what you do, maybe in, in your day-to-day or maybe annually, something maybe contributes to the welfare of the elephants. You know, maybe there's a barometer out there that will, will judge or will scale what, what individual impacts you have on wildlife that you may not be in contact with. I'd love to see that. Um, when it comes to the illegal ivory trade, it mainly comes out of places like China. China is a heavy hitter when it comes to illegal activity. 70% of illegal ivory is out of China. You know, it's been revered for millennia as rare and luxury uh, and luxe. And most often, you'll find a pound of ivory, ivory, just a pound per pound, it's about $1,000 in Beijing, for example. And, you know, it's a, it's a culture. It's a, it's a, it's a culture of, of where you grew up that kind of idolizes and puts above certain activities. You know, certain certain people... Uh, love and glamorize um, uh, fishing or or outdoor activities or hunting or 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 eating delicacies or preparing certain foods that you would never probably eat. You would never eat, you know, testicles or moose knuckle or um, or any or any type of uh, animal that maybe you're not in contact with every day. Like, oh, I would never eat cat or I would never eat, you know, fox. But in other countries, they do things way differently. And so what they've grown, grown up on is, you know, seeing as a prized object and they're not trying to give it up. And that's, that's the point. That's, the, that's the, the tipping point. We have to get to the point where countries that have been doing this for a long time, they are, um, we have to get to the point where they are somehow disincentivized to continue the culture of that, of selling uh, animal parts for money, mere money. It has to be made taboo, made illegal, sure, but banned and socially frowned upon. In China, in Malaysia, in Thailand, in India, in the U.S., you know, in Uganda, in, in Kenya, and in other countries, there's so many other countries around the world that participate in poaching on some level. All types of animals I can name. So, another key thing is to also not support uh, ivory at all. Whether that be jewelry, whether that be uh, in, in visiting museums, collecting, collectors, um, thinking it's a prized possession, going to retailers that are somehow connected with poaching activities and killing of wildlife unnecessarily. You know, I don't even support the circus. I don't. I don't go to the circus 
or even the zoos. I haven't been to the zoos in years, but I, I like zoos, but I don't go a ton. I, I haven't been, you know, there in probably more than a decade or so. Or so. And with elephants, um, you know, they're, they're beautiful, but they don't need to be locked up in cages and, and you know, mercilessly beat, you know, for performing tricks on a on the stage of a, of a circus. You know, when I was in school, I think this was back in my university days, one of my classes, we had um, gotten upon the subject of, of the circus and um, how they treat uh, animals there, whether it be the lions or the, the elephants and training them up and beating them and performing tricks repeatedly, um, you know, treating them horribly, not giving them the food, water, air, them being in crowded spaces and you know, some of the biggest circuses are now toppling. They're really suffering, especially in the time of the coronavirus. But, um, you know, don't support your local circus, especially if it has animals. Why not, you know, uh, participate in something like the Universal uh, Circus or uh, a group that's local or maybe in your city or, or region where they have entertainment that's not really focused on animals. It's it's more people-focused, more family-friendly, more family fun. And uh, that'd be better. Um, and lastly, I want to, you know, just briefly talk about, like, who um, created the idea or made famous the idea of selling um, the wares of, of animals. You know, who thought it was acceptable to sell their claws and paws and, and antlers and, and tusks and, and their hides? Like, that, it's, it's, not, it's not okay. And... Even though I live in the U.S., like, you know, it's not. And and I think a part of that has to do with morality, but also part of that has to do with, uh, in the U.S., you know, it's not socially acceptable for us to be, you know, touting that stuff and, and showing our friends or family or, or, or keeping that stuff locked away or even just telling people because we don't do that. We don't have animals to just kill willy-nilly and to save their hides. We don't do that here in the U.S., at least not my friends and, and people I know. We just, it, it's just, it's particular subsets of people in the U.S. that probably do that, especially those who are older or who've done it and had that lineage be, be in their families. But um, I think a big part of um, indoctrinating the next generation is, you know, how the current generation feels about the issue. You know, if a, if a, if burning books was made to be, um, you know, part of a, a, a country's culture or just bonfires to random stuff or another crazy act that's kind of pointless um, to instill fear, maybe in a population, then, you know, that population of people would be controlled by that and they would they would remember that act. Uh, and continue passing that on for years and years and years. Um, but with something like, um, you know, killing wildlife um, is something to be feared. You know, the wildlife are fearing for their life. And the people are seeing the effects of the, the deaths behind um, poaching. You know, besides, you know, because of, you know, killing of elephants. That doesn't need to happen.
The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review, in the next few minutes, proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and to also protect Mother Earth. Now, the simple things that we can do as a part of this Mother Earth Minutes are pretty varied, but it will help um, put a solution towards saving elephants and other wildlife species, but mainly elephants. There's so many things to do. Uh, There's six different solutions, but they go a long ways, and they kind of vary um, in in the support you can, you know, give, in the time. Uh, There's so many resources on the different uh, websites I'll get to a little bit later, but uh, there's something basically for everyone. Uh, And the first uh, step, first tip, in uh, first way is to, of course, not buy, wear, or even sell ivory, whether it's old or new. Uh, When it comes to ivory, some examples of ivory include traditional um, pieces for jewelry, billiard balls, uh, pool cues, dominoes, fans, or or, um, piano keys, and also any carved trinkets. Sometimes you'll see them in museums or maybe your your auntie or grandma's um, living room space. You know, just shunning ivory. Uh, on the shelves is a clear message that you can send to retailers, you know, any art dealers or or anyone who sells um, the body parts of elephants that you don't want to support them. So don't. Number two is to buy elephant-friendly coffee and wood. So for those who love coffee, there are, of course, um, so many different retailers that you can go for um, eco-friendly coffee. And uh, with when it comes to elephants, they have um, the um, coffee and timber. It's sometimes grown on plantations that end up destroying elephant habitats. So to fight that, all you have to do is buy Forest Stewardship Council or F. SC certified um, wood and also certified fair trade coffee Um, and so those really make the difference uh, when it comes to you know buying those amazing products uh, if you happen to be a coffee drinker um, by chance. Number three is to support elephant preservation efforts. So this comes in many forms. You could help their programs, you could sponsor an elephant, you could donate funds, or donate your car, or you could um, help the individual organization's programs themselves. You could host a fundraiser or tons of, tons of other things. Uh, there are a few different organizations that can kind of help get you started if you're kind of lost or maybe you don't know exactly which are reputable. There are a few. So um, the uh, first one I want to talk about is the International Elephant Foundation. You can find them at uh, elephantconservation.org. And they were formed in 1998, and IEF generates and effectively invests resources to support elephant conservation, education, research, and management programs all across the world. And the next one is the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, and you can find them at Sheldrick, that's S-H-E-L-D-R-I-C-K, wildlifetrust.org. And they were founded back in 1977, 
and they work across Kenya and they do projects that include anti-poaching, they safeguard the natural environment, they enhance and bring about community awareness, they address animal welfare issues, they provide veterinary assistance to animals in need, they rescue uh, and they hand rear elephants and rhino orphans uh, and other species that can enjoy uh, you know, the gift of life and uh, can do so until they're about fully grown. Uh, the uh, other uh, organization is the African Wildlife Foundation. You can reach them at www.awf.org and they were founded in 1961 and uh, they are the uh, African Wildlife Leadership Foundation Inc. and they're known as AWF and they were established to focus mainly on Africa's uh, unique conservation needs. And then lastly is the organization the Mbosley Trust for Elephants and they can be reached uh, on the website elephanttrust.org. Now when it comes to that organization, they aim also on uh, conservation issues long term. They were founded in 1972 and they uh, really are focused on the human needs and pressures that um, the African elephants face uh, and they try to reach uh, the needs of these elephants through things like scientific research and training, uh, community outreach, public awareness, and also advocacy. So all those uh, organizations kind of vary, but I hope that you can pick one that kind of you know suits your needs. Number four tip is to be aware of the captive lives that elephants lead. This means, again, boycotting things like zoos and circuses. You can make a difference uh, when it comes to, you know, not uh, buying tickets, traveling, buying food or other uh, gifts or uh, just spreading the word about uh, circuses and zoos and how harmful they are. You know, boycotting them on social media is definitely definitely a way uh, being informed about it, you know. Um, diving more a little bit into the topic. Maybe you come across a YouTube video that is really hitting some strong points and you're really, um, you're proactively uh, informed and you want to, you know, tell others about the, uh, the devastations or the devastation that zoos and circuses have caused in the last 50 years. Uh, these can uh, really be uh, powerful, especially when you get your friends and colleagues and, and people you know through groups and, and, and others. When you get them involved in it, they'll know. They'll know, okay, not to you know plan a trip to the zoo, not to uh, go to the next circus um, because of the animals being uh, captive there. Uh, number five is to adopt an elephant. Now, this is um, kind of straightforward, but it's it's necessarily where you're adopting an animal. Could be an elephant, but you get cute pictures of the elephant, which doesn't necessarily belong to you, but you're you're investing in the care of it financially, and so you're 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 funding its conservation efforts uh, in in several different ways in the care of that individual like elephant. 
So there are a number of organizations that will get you started and actually you can adopt through them. There's the World Wildlife Foundation, the World Animal Foundation, there's Born Free, and there's also Defenders of Wildlife. And they all have adoption programs for elephants or for starters. And then lastly, the last way to help elephants is to do something like join the Roots and Shoots program. This was founded in 1991 by Dr. Jane Goodall and a group of uh, Tanzanian students. And it's a youth program and it's all about them wanting to create positive change for wildlife where they are. Uh, This has grown to about 120 countries all across the world. And so it's a vast network of members. And so it's a great way for youth to get involved in conservation, maybe um, get them started and see how they um, grow throughout the program. And maybe they'll pursue a career helping animals, other wildlife, you know, like rhinoceros, of course, elephants and others. So this will maybe get them started, especially if you're a little one or you're a family member, maybe your friend, or someone you know, maybe of, of, of youth age, loves animals and wants to protect them, this is a great program for them. Asian giant hornets colloquially known as murder hornets for their zeal in decapitating honeybees arrive in the United States. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club's Sierra Magazine in the July-August 2020 issue. We've reached the Eco Company Spotlight portion in the Green Thoughts program. So this is a really fun time and want to get started and you know talk about the amazing uh, companies that um, you know, I've had a chance to um, you know be a lover of and uh, I, I don't regret it. I try and give uh, well-rounded reviews and packed full of information and uh, you know giving as much uh, so that you can of course partake in these amazing foods or makeup products or anything of course that I cover here uh, in this special segment. I've been doing a ton of reviews since February 2019 and there's always lots to cover and learn more of and so one of the latest companies is really amazing and so if you're keen on snacks, healthy ones, you'll love this. It's called Sahali Snacks. So Sahali Snacks was formed all the way back in 2003 and it was built upon the idea from a duo of best friends who went mountain climbing and they were trying to craft snacks that, you know, fit their tastes. You know, they were looking for something that was enjoyable, you know, healthy, of course, but something hadn't existed before then. So they decided to go into crafting these amazing snacks. They didn't have any formal training and they decided to test their skills and and create combinations that were built on healthy fruits, nuts, and spices. And so Sahali Snacks was, of course, born, and it's what you see today. As far as its commitment to sustainability, Sahali Snacks 
products are great because the number one thing is that they collaborate with farmers. And so they do this uh, so that they can, of course, sponsor them for their uh, in ingredients um, and, and, and the products that they add, the ingredients that they add to the products of Sahali snacks. And it really helps the farmers, too, because it increases their you know, quality of life, sustains their livelihoods. And one of the projects and collaborations that they have with one of the farmers has been going for a while now, since 2015. Uh, their products are great because they're made with renewable energy like wind power and they don't use any artificial preservatives or even any artificial flavorings and they use organic ingredients. Uh, as far as their products, they have so, so many and I fall in love with their glaze mixes but they have tons of other products too, which I'll cover. So as far as their glaze mixes, which are uh, their uh, nut mixes that are covered in amazing things like honey and all types of other sweet um, edible um, type of uh, flavors. They have their banana rum pecans, they have their honey almonds, their uh, maple pecans, they have their naturally, naturally flavored pomegranate vanilla uh, flavored cashews, and then they have their naturally flavored pomegranate flavored uh, pistachios. And then they have their uh, tangerine, vanilla, cashew, macadamia um, flavor. And then they have their Thai cashews and then their Valdosta uh, pecans. As far as their trail mixes, they have the berry, macaroon, almond. They have the classic fruit and nut. They have the mango tango. And they also have the raspberry crumble cashew. For their coconut snack mixes, they have the cherry cocoa almond and their pineapple rum cashew coconut. They have the single nut snacks, which are their dry roasted California almonds. And then for their bean nut mac, uh, snack mixes, they have that in sea salt and Asian sesame edamame. I like um, the uh, thought that Sahali Snacks puts into their products. They are naturally amazing. I love, love, love their naturally flavored pomegranate vanilla flavored cashews. I've eaten probably three to four pouches uh, of their goodness. Um, so I've, I've bought them mainly from uh, Walgreens, but you can find them on other sites like Amazon and others. And they have so many different flavors. That's one of the things that I love about any company that I review. They have tons of flavors and products, so they kind of have uh, a, a taste for everybody and they have different sizes they have their one ounce sizes and then they have the four ounce uh, sizes I think I've always had their four ounce sizes because the one ounces are a little bit smaller um, they are addictive in a good way you know they're they they bring light flavor good flavor um, sweet flavor uh, mostly on some of their um, snacks there's there's they're sweet and then they have some savory types of uh, snacks and they have you know their ones like their almonds which are kind of you know just the almonds themselves dry roasted and if you love um, you know Asian flavor or something simple like sea salt they have you covered in those snacks too um, these are I think mostly great for something like breakfast you want a quick you know pick-me-up or something to be topped on salads or maybe even bread they have recipes on their website which are pretty handy if you love crafting uh, foods and you have tons of different ingredients in your cabinet or you just want to be fancy or inventive and kind of 
put your own twist on it, then head over to the website. They have tons of uh, great recipes to start from, and you can sort of make it your own if you wish. Um, their foods are also great, I think, for lunch, you know, to add to something, maybe, you know, sandwich and chips and, you know, some Sahali, uh, you know, uh, snacks like some you know roasted nuts or something else and uh, the great for you know kids or you know just for general snack time too it, it's great and it's pretty universal uh their snacks uh, i do give them a five out of five green thumbs up i would totally recommend uh, you getting their snacks uh, the packaging is to be desired. I wish it was a reusable or recyclable, but that's just me. Uh, and the pricing varies, but it's, it's really inexpensive, really small of a cost. And you can find them in stores and uh, online, definitely. So Sahali uh, snacks can be found uh, definitely a few different places. Uh, generally online on the website, Sahali snacks, that's S-A-H-A-L-E snacks with an S uh, and dot com and uh, just go to the where to buy section you can type in your, your zip code and from what I found they're only in the US as far as uh, finding them um, in stores but online it, it varies of course because Amazon mainly you can find them there and then just um, search by country I can also get them at Giant Eagle Smucker's Shop Albertsons uh, iHerb online and um, when it comes to in-store, you can find them at places like Walgreens, CVS, ShopRite, of course, normal drugstores. Sahali Snacks can be found on the following social media platforms. A Facebook at Sahali Snacks. They're on Instagram at Sahali Snacks. They're on LinkedIn at Sahali Snacks. They're on Pinterest also at Sahali Snacks. And they're on Twitter at Sahali Snacks and also YouTube at Sahali Snacks. I recently subscribed to the YouTube. Uh, to contact Sahali Snacks, just go to the website, of course, Sahali Snacks, S-A-H-A-L-E, Snacks, S-N-A-C-K-S.com. And then go to contact at the bottom of the website to call them, live chat with them, or message them directly. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Um, it really means a lot that you, you know, come upon this episode. And uh, I, I enjoyed, you know, talking about this. I'm really passionate about animals. I love animals. And I used to have pets. I had, had dogs, have cats. Um, and so animals, you know, need protecting. We need to support the animals that we see the least of the and, and, and make sure that they're okay. Because we don't want them to be extinct in our lifetimes. You know, if you're if you're one who loves animals or maybe a particular animal, maybe it's 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 those animals on the, the savannah or in a region maybe you're not one who, you know, has access to, think about supporting uh those animals. You know, maybe taking a trip and seeing, you know, their habitats or where they live or a tour or something or you know, giving in the various ways that we mentioned with the different organizations we talked about earlier uh, in the program. Uh, every, um, you know, interaction of sharing this podcast is important to me. Uh, for those who, you know, would love to uh, donate uh, in several different ways, there are uh, different amounts that you can do so uh, with. Uh, and you can just, um, of course, do so uh, on the main page. 
the anchor.fm page of Greener Thoughts. That's, you know, a great place to, you know, support the podcast. Uh, if you can, that definitely means a lot. Um, or, you know, doing a rating on Apple Podcasts or another big uh you know, podcast platform that really uh, means so much sharing this podcast episode. Maybe you know someone who loves elephants and they can't get enough or other wildlife and they need some resources. This is the podcast for them. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're interested in, you know, having your little one or niece or nephew or, you know, cousin and they love elephants or wildlife, maybe this is the podcast episode for them and they'd love it too. So thank you again for tuning in. I'll look to talk with you further in another podcast episode coming up soon. But until then, you all take care and please take care of yourselves and also please take care of the planet. Be well. See ya. Mm-hmm.